Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our current sermon series is Jesus' Parables and the Mystery of the Kingdom. The title of Dr. Dorch's sermon today is What Makes Your Garden Grow? The big idea is the kingdom only grows where believers are faithful to plant it. As we consider Jesus' parables and the mystery of the kingdom, our parable that we look at this morning comes from Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, beginning with the 30th verse, the parable of the mustard seed. Hear now the word of God as it comes to us in fulfillment. Again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground, yet when planted, when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. May God add his blessings to this, the reading of his word. Do you remember that rhyme, that mother goose rhyme that you learned when you were a child? The one that goes, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. Remember that rhyme? Now, that's a strange sort of garden that Mary is growing. Wouldn't you say, now, I'm not much of a gardener. I do understand that silver bells, it's not the little silver-wrapped candy. It's a flower, cockle shells, it's a flower as well. But, But the pretty maids all in a row, what kind of garden is this? Contrary Mary growing. Well, suffice it to say, there have been no lack of explanations given as to what that rhyme really signifies. Some would say it goes back to the 16th century, to the land of Scotland, and to the contrary queen of the Scots known as Mary Queen of Scots, but there's no real corroboration as to that being the origin of the rhyme. It really is lost to history. All that we know is that you have this contrary woman named Mary who grows this strange garden and her contrariness. We might initially think it's her attitude when we speak of a person who is contrary by nature. We say of that individual that he or she just has a problem getting along with others. And so our assumption is that this Mary in the rhyme is mad at someone. We know not who. But what might the rhyme mean? if we were to interpret it instead 
at least the contrary aspect of it, as referring to more of Mary's approach to her gardening than merely to her attitude. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How is your garden growing? Does your contrarian approach yield results? Because in the end, regardless of how you garden, regardless of your attitude or your approach at the end of the day, that's what we really want to know. Is your garden growing? Because that's what gardens are supposed to do. They are supposed to generate growth. So, I would ask you this morning, how, how is your garden growing? And I'm not talking about your gardens at home, in the backyard, your box gardens. I'm not talking about your vegetables that you have in the backyard or your flowers around your home. I'm talking about your spiritual garden. I'm talking about your faith. I'm talking about the manner in which you've planted your trust in Jesus Christ so that your life, your attitude, your approach, and your actions all represent the presence of Jesus in you because according to Jesus, that's what God expects most of us. God expects our faith to yield results, and it may be, it most likely is the case, if our faith is not growing, our gardens are not growing, it is most likely the case that the answer lies in the fact that we have embraced too closely the prevailing culture around us and we have not bought in sufficiently to the contrarian ways, the contrarian ways of the kingdom of God, which is a message that this parable that I've read for you this morning really is designed to help us to see that the growth that God is looking for calls us to take an approach that is contrary to the ways of the world that we might better bear witness to what God is about in us. The, the parable of the mustard seed, it's, it is found only, only this parable in the Gospel of Mark. Yes, I know, I know there are other references to mustard seed in the Gospels in Matthew, in Luke. But, but this parable that I've read for you this morning, it only comes to us in Mark's gospel. It's only Mark who felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to take this teaching of Jesus and pass it on to the church for which he was responsible. Tradition tells us that the gospel of Mark was intended initially to the church at Rome. 
So let's think about this for a moment. Rome, the imperial city. Rome, the seat of the emperor Caesar. Rome ruled by one who mandated that throughout his empire, subjects make the confession, Caesar is Lord. Think about that. Throughout the empire, Caesar mandating the confession of his subjects, Caesar is Lord. And here, here lies this little band, this little band of believers in Jesus Christ who know in their heart of hearts we can't do that. That may be what others around us are confessing. That is not our confession. We cannot say Jesus is Lord. We take a different approach. Dare I say it, a contrarian approach. We say Jesus is Lord. And so Mark passed on to a church living under that kind of pressure. Mark passes on this parable that Jesus spoke that reminds his disciples that as small as they may seem to be and as small as at times their faith might seem to be, particularly in comparison to the might, the power, and the dominion of an empire like Caesar's in the end, in the end, their faith in Christ will win the day. Out of such small, humble beginnings, the good news of the kingdom of God is given its highest and best expression. Now, that, that, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us who are blessed with the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. Is it not the case? that throughout the word of God, God does remarkably amazing things from even the smallest of confessions. Now, you look in the Old Testament and you see Abraham, who, who becomes the father of a great nation, God's own people. God did not choose Pharaoh in Egypt... God did not choose the ruler of the Sumerians, that great culture that has provided us with so much of the alphabet and the learning. God didn't choose those great mighty world powers when God deemed ready to choose a people, he, he, chose, he chose a wandering nomad who set out 
at the command of God, not really knowing where he was going, to a country he knew not. But out of that came Israel, he who strives with God. We see how, we see how in the book of Zechariah, as, as God is speaking through his prophet, pointing them to the good future that God has for them to know in spite of the fact that when God's prophet delivers this message, his, his people have, have dwindled in number and certainly they have, they have dwindled in significance in terms of the world stage. The word of God comes through the prophet to the people not to despise the day of small things. God is at work. And in the pages of the New Testament, we read the story of our Savior who was born where? In Bethlehem, which as the prophet Micah predicted, though, though smallest, among the clans and the tribes of Judah from you will come one who will rule my people. And, and to a humble couple, Mary and the man to whom she was betrothed, Joseph, the Holy Spirit moved in the life of that young virgin and she conceived and gave birth to the Savior of the world and as he grew up, where did he begin his ministry? In the backwoods of Galilee hailing from a small town, Nazareth, a couple of hundred people in the first century world and yet the power of God was in Jesus and, and people saw it and those who were the prevailing powers saw it until they decided something must be done and they nailed him to the cross, the most shameful sort of death in the first century world and they buried him in a borrowed tomb and yet, and yet on the third day the power of God brought life from the grave. And to this day, the world has never, never been the same. And yet, doesn't it strike you as odd that in the midst of all that God was doing, in the midst of these small, humble beginnings, very few people saw it. They missed it because they were looking in the wrong ways, and in the wrong places. And with this parable, Jesus is saying to his disciples, Jesus is saying to us, don't you make that mistake. Don't you make that mistake. Not if your life is to give evidence of God's power in you and through you, don't you make that mistake. How shall we describe the kingdom of God, Jesus says to his disciples. 
This is the third of three seed parables in Mark's gospel. This one focuses on the mustard seed, which was, as Mark tells us, the smallest of seeds in the first century world. Maybe one or two millimeters. Do you remember the metric system when you were in school? If not, think about your driver's license. The thickness of your driver's license. You're getting close. One mustard seed, such a tiny seed. You could probably have to struggle to see it with your naked eye. If you had lots of mustard seeds, well, you could make them out. But a single mustard seed, what can come from that? How shall we describe the kingdom of God? It's like a mustard seed. When it is planted. Notice Jesus did not use a conditional word. He didn't say if it gets planted. The expectation is that you plant what God makes available. However, the size of what God makes available. It's like a mustard seed, Jesus says. When it is planted, grow. And becomes this, this garden shrub. And the birds of the air are able to perch in its branches. Now trust me when I tell you there's a lot going on in this little parable that Jesus tells concerning the mustard seed. For one thing. Jesus has already set out in a contrarian position even from the prophets of the Old Testament. What, what, what do I mean? I'm not saying Jesus, as he promised in the Sermon on the Mount, did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And yet, and yet we know that there were times when Jesus offered his disciples a deeper revelation of God's truth. Nowhere do we see that more here. You plant the mustard seed, and when it grows, it becomes a garden shrub. He does not say, as did Ezekiel, it becomes a mighty oak. He did not say, as did the prophet Isaiah, it's a magnificent cedar. It's a garden shrub. It's a big plant. It's a big plant, 8 to 10 feet. It's it's big enough so that the birds of the air can perch in its branches. And when Jesus employed that phrase, birds of the air, he was speaking of the nations of the world in accordance with Ezekiel and Isaiah and other prophets who had come before him. What Jesus is emphasizing to his disciples is not so much the matter of something big and impressive being the instrument of God's reign and God's rule. He, he's talking instead about the faith that is involved that leads to the fulfillment of the purpose, the purpose that God has for his people. 
It's not just the size of what is produced. It's the purpose for which it's produced. You think about the one principle that characterizes contemporary American culture in the 21st century, and dare I say it's a principle that's guided American culture since the Industrial Revolution. It's the principle that bigger is better. Bigger is better. You have more of something, that's got to be better. Jesus is calling that into question. Bigger is not always better. Better is better. Better being defined by the ability of people to live into the purpose for which God has created them and to which God is calling them. How can we compare the kingdom of God? It's like a mustard seed. It's so small. It's so, you can hardly see it. But when it's planted in the ground, lo and behold, it produces a garden shrub in which the birds of the air can perch in its branches. I read this parable and I think to myself, you know, we're living in a time when there's a lot of hand-wringing going on about what is the future of the church. Now, you were part of the congregational conversation that our pulpit nominating committee called for just a couple of weeks ago and during that conversation, I understand I, many of you have shared with me your thoughts on the conversation. It's designed in part to help the membership understand what's at stake as we move into the future that God has for us to know. And during that conversation, what did you hear? One of every three churches in the next 20 or so years will no longer cease to exist. And as a result of such statistics, so many churches today are wondering, what, what does the future hold? What do we got to do? How are we going to reach people? And, and the instinct that kicks in is, we got to find a way to be relevant to the larger culture. We don't want to appear out of touch. And so our impulse, our instincts lead us to consider approaches and tactics and strategies that are more in line with the world than the contrarian purposes of the kingdom of God, which is not about bigger only about better. Only about faithful.
I remember years ago reading a quote that was first expressed by William Inge, an Anglican clergyman in London, England, dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London at the turn of the 20th century. 20th century. Now, this was a time in religious life, both on the continent as well as in America, where people were anxious about the modernist, fundamentalist controversy and what are we going to do and how is the church going to survive and what, what, what do we have to what do we have to be about in order to be relevant and in touch with the prevailing culture? And it was Dean Inge, who in 1911 warned the church, not just the Anglican church, but the larger church, the Holy Christian church that we confess every Sunday morning at Mount Brook Baptist Church. He warned the church, uppercase C, not to place their faith in what he called, at the time, contemporary approaches. Warning the church, capital C, to be very careful because the church that marries, Inge said, in 1911, the church that marries the spirit of this age may well find itself a widow in the next. Those words have always stuck with me. We have a contemporary service here, and I'm not opposed to contemporary worship. You know that. People have different spirituality types, just like they have different personality types. Not everybody can be like me. And that's a good thing. Not everybody can be like you. And that's a good thing. But the notion that there is something other than our willingness to live into the purpose to which God has called us there's no future in anything other than that. I don't know what the future of Mountain Brook Baptist Church is going to be. And let me tell you that today, nobody else does. Nobody else does. But I do know this. It's not my opinion. It's grounded in the teaching of Jesus that if we will be a community of faith that will employ whatever measure of faith is at our disposal, as small, as humble, as irrelevant as we might fear it to be, if we just use the faith, plant the devotion that God has awakened in us in the coming days God will work in the midst of this great congregation and God will continue to do the most remarkable of things 
So are you willing to be a part of that? To be an individual that uses your faith in this garden we call Mountain Brook Baptist Church. And, and will you do so in concert with others that God has sent and will be sending our way? It's the only way. Brothers and sisters, it's the only way for this garden to grow. So that in the coming days, we may not be the biggest church. But we will be the most faithful one. Which in the end, is what to God will matter most of all. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for the faith that you awaken in us through your Holy Spirit's presence, the grace that abounds in our midst, the great things that you do. We praise you for them in fulfillment of your promises made to your people from the very foundation of the world, ultimately defined, fully revealed in the person of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Lord, help us to focus more on Jesus than on anything else. So that we quit wringing our hands. And begin doing your will. That your kingdom may come. And your will might be done. In Mount Brook Baptist Church. As it is in heaven. So we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.